Words, they get golly hard when they jumble. Jumping over hurdles, slowing birds like a turtle. Merkin fool, like Squirtle and Kate Rule. Cold blood is with the Stromsky. I'm a boss. Flip the coin, toss the straws. I'm at a loss. How my brains get busted. Slinging letters into couplets. Muck up the subjects. Paragraph the punches. Thanks for joining us. This is That Got Me Thinking, and I'm Ellie Newman. This week, I've been thinking about the creative process, creative impulses, expression, execution, and accomplishment. What drives productivity and what halts it in its tracks? What's the relationship between the individual and their community when one is deeply involved in a creative endeavor? And how does the creative process alter who we are and the way we go about our lives? My guest today is Chris Beatty, founder of National Novel Writing Month and acclaimed author of No Plot, No Problem, a low-stress, high-velocity guide to writing a novel in 30 days, with a newly revised, updated, and expanded edition. Welcome, Chris. Great to be here. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining me. So I want to start with a quote from your book. It says, it's been a wonderful, crazy decade, and in that time, I've stumbled upon a host of strategies to help you fit a book into the middle of your busy life. And that's a 50,000-word book in 30 days. And you went from 21 people in your original endeavor at this to 450,000 annual participants. Where did the original idea come from? (laughs) It's such a great question. So I was 26 at the time. And I I think, so at that point in my life, I was uh, working as a website um, editor at this uh, website for business travelers. And I think I had a lot of, in the way that you do when you're kind of working at a job that isn't quite your passion (laughs) project, I feel like I had a lot of energy towards like, I wanted to make something. I wanted to, you know, go big and bite off more than I could chew and get in over my head. And, and, um, I had always loved books and loved reading. I was such a huge reader growing up. And, um, so I think the idea of writing a novel was something that I never imagined that I would do, but it was so powerfully attractive. I just felt like I didn't have the skills to write a novel. I didn't know how to write a novel. I had never taken a novel writing class. Um, but I thought, okay, this might be the project. So um, at that point, I had so many friends who also kind of had a lot of uh, excess energy <laughs> and free time. I think the mid-20s are like an ideal time for this. And so I just sent out an email that was uh, just kind of laid out this ridiculous mission of writing a 50,000-word novel in a month. That first year was uh, July was the very first National Novel Writing Month. And um, to my surprise and wonder and delight, uh, 20 otherwise sane people signed on <laughs> for this crazy endeavor. And was that during the first bubble in San Francisco? Were you sort of one of the many who were a creative at heart but had taken a job at an internet company? Yes. And and in fact, one of the nice things, though, about the bubble is that I think in 1999 in the Bay Area, it felt like there were no bad ideas, right? That, that, that anything you could think of could, could work. And I, I think we were surrounded by like pets.com and, you know, like barbecue.com was worth like $7 billion at that point. So there was this real irrational exuberance around everything. And, and I think that that actually kind of helped make it possible in my mind. So I kind of borrowed that that same infectious enthusiasm for somewhat crazy ideas, and I think put it to work in like a literary literary capacity. And so you've got the 21 of you, and you describe it at the beginning of your book as sort of setting off for a month at sea. (laughs) You can imagine you all waving goodbye at the shore. Is that what it felt like? And you had your common love of books to kind of hold you together? Exactly. Well, none of us had written 
novels before. You know, there were definitely a lot of book lovers, but, you know, it was everybody from uh, middle school math teachers uh, to administrative assistants. You know, a lot of us were just um, just really, I think, into the idea of doing this. But all of us also felt like we were doomed to fail. Like, it really seemed like one of those projects that we were going to start with a lot of gusto. Um, about midway through it, we would probably start to flail. At the three-week point, we would all abandon the project. And then by week four, we would kind of pretend that we had never <laughs> we had never started it. Um, but I think the process of actually making it a, a group undertaking, which was kind of just sort of evolved naturally, that um, I think because we were relatively terrified by the process, um, we sort of gathered together to sort of cheer each other on and console each other through the down parts. And um, as a result, we kind of made novel writing a, a social activity. And that was one of the the accidental discoveries that I think I made that first National Novel Writing Month, which is that, in fact, writing is a wonderful social activity and that you're much more likely to make time for it and stick with it if you do have that sort of sense of social accountability. So we would get together uh, after work in coffee shops in Berkeley, California, and you know, and just kind of set set word count goals and and really just kind of like be there to make sure that n- nobody walked away. <laughs> and and that did wonders for um, both. I think for our willingness to kind of um, stay committed to the project through those. Uh, moments when we were absolutely sure that these books were the worst things that had ever been written. But it also just ended up being a really great way to spend time with friends. You know, I think tackling a shared project really is just is a wonderful thing, whether that's uh, creative writing or art or just building something. I think creativity really does uh, does work well in groups. So that was another sort of byproduct of that first National Novel Writing Month is that uh, you know, the six of us that ended up getting together most nights after work, you know, not only did we cross the 50,000 word finish line, which was amazing, but I think we also just ended up having this really wonderful communal experience of having this shared goal and getting there together. Okay, so I've got two questions coming from that. Could you, do you think at the beginning, have guessed which six it would have been to cross the finish line? And do you feel like all 21 of you had the same why for doing the project, or was it pretty varied? That's a good question. So the six that crossed the finish line were the people that were actually getting together in person and writing. And um, I have seen that really be the case as National Novel Writing Month has grown. It's it's the people that know at least one other person that is doing it so that they have some company and um, some commiseration, I think those people are much, much more likely to be able to kind of see this through and and make it to the end. But, you know, among those six were, you know, my friend Tim, he's a cartographer, hates writing. Like writing was (laughs) on on like number 1000 of the things that he loves to do in life. Like he really uh, had avoided it his whole life, but he just loves challenges. Like he, he loves uh, you know, it, it, the idea of like running a marathon when he's never really done a lot of running is very appealing to him as well. So I think there's also that personality that really is like, okay, I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm all in on this, <laughs> whatever it is. I think that also really helps a lot in, in getting through these things. 
And maybe even being sadistic, if you right. <laughs> masochistic, right. not sadistic, masochistic <laughs> for that. I, I really hate this, but you know what? I'm going to do it. Yeah, exactly. And so at that point, did you identify yourself as a writer? I mean, if someone asked you not what you did, of course, but who you are, like, were you a writer in your soul at that point? I don't know. And, you know, it's, I think one of the saddest things that we do to ourselves is really, you know, I think I was afraid to call myself a writer. And well, at was, that point, I was going to ask if being a writer, if you were, if that was good news or bad news. Yeah. I, so I was working at that point as a, um, professional, relatively <laughs> professional editor and, uh, had done writing for, you know, like the college newspaper and things like that. But I don't know. I think I still, I think going into that first national novel writing month, I really thought of, novelist is like a superhuman species, right? It wasn't me. And even just a writer was sort of just uh, that sort of, it seems sort of beyond the pale. And, and I think, uh, national novel writing month and just that process of writing, you know, an okay first draft, it was like, not, not a great first draft. It's 50,000 words, which means, you know, in the next draft, it would need to grow quite a bit to be like a regulation length (laughs) novel, which, you know, are, are probably closer to, uh, anywhere between 90 to 100 and 110,000 words. But I think that experience of just starting this month without much direction, you know, I didn't really have the characters. I definitely didn't have a plot and, and watching this world spin itself out and, and come alive. I, I think that did make me realize that, you know, that all of us have this ability in us to, to write books, to tell stories and, and, from then on, I think that I, I felt much more comfortable in just feeling, saying, you know, uh, everyone's a novelist and everybody should be writing books. If you love books, you should be writing them because it just feels incredible. And and I think that that just having that stake on it that was more centered around just the joy that it brings made me more comfortable embracing that that word, you know, novelist, which I think before, because I revered novelists so much, I just kind of had put them so up on a pedestal. But, you know, I kind of realized that you don't need to have this alien ability to, you know, have this unbelievably enhanced level of of empathy or, or, uh, you know, human perception that, in fact, I think all of us really can kind of put our worlds together in these really fascinating literary ways and, and, and turn our daily existences into these, these stories that other people will really want to read. So you you said you had a revelation that the biggest thing separating people from their artistic ambitions is not the lack of a talent, it's the lack of a deadline, taking risks, making messes, following ideas just to see where they lead. Do you feel like that translated then having that experience of the first year to all areas of your life and, and sort of when you, in your relationships with other people with maybe an ambition that they had or something that they were maybe anxious to strive toward? Yes. In, in some ways, all national novel writing month is, is like, is a terrifying deadline accompanied by like a, a very, uh, supportive community and a deadline. I I don't think I had really thought it through until that point, but you know, you think about everything that's going on in our lives and you look at all the things that you accomplish. And I would say like 98% of those things that you do have some deadline attached to them, right? It's like um, things at work or, you know, things with family, things with friends. Everything we do, we accomplish thanks to this power of deadlines. And 
then when we head off on sort of a creative mission, whether it's to, you know, learn to play the mandolin or, you know, to write, write a novel, I, I feel like we often forget that we need to have a, an equally motivating deadline or we will just not make time for it. Because, you know, unless we're getting paid for it or somebody else is expecting us to do it and we'll be upset if we don't do it, it's just very hard to prioritize that thing. And, and that's where I think so many people that sort of start books or start creative projects of any kind, and then a couple months go by and they've sort of lost momentum and they really beat themselves up about it. You know, I think a lot of us make these New Year's resolutions about, I'm going to be more creative. I'm going to, you know, finally tackle that project that I've always wanted to do. And, and then you start, it peters out, you kick yourself about it. But the truth is that really what you need is a deadline. You need this sense of a schedule. You need the sense of accountability. And I think people forget because we think of sort of the artistic realms as these sort of really right-brained, out there, uh, creative things. And maybe a deadline is just going to kind of end up hampering them. But in fact, I think you just can't make time for something unless you actually put it on (laughs) your schedule. And it also really helps if you have other people that are there to kind of know that you have committed to this goal and help cheer you on uh, along the way. Well, it's interesting because it seems like such a subtle but distinct difference from the research that was done in the book Drive, where he found that if you have an impulse, a genuine internal impulse to do something, that if you then try to compensate someone, reward someone for doing that, their drive goes down. But this is very different to say to put a deadline there because it's not rewarding the person for that, right? It, and it's it becomes a motivator rather than a demotivator. And I think even getting your kids to school on time, no one is going to have their kids at school at eight o'clock unless there is that deadline set. Right, exactly. Right. If school started sort of whenever you felt like yeah. you're dropping your kid off, I mean, maybe my- two o'clock. <laughs> Maybe never. You yeah, know? <laughs> it's really interesting. I mean, it's 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 so subtle, but so profound in all areas. I'm going to be thinking about that for the next week. Um, so let's talk a little bit more about that first year, because you said starting was easy and continuing was hard. And there seemed to be this huge change each week as, as to what was happening. And um, people were really happy in week two, and then week three, you said it was a, a week two, uh, like a portal that you stumbled into this giddy netherworld. And then week three was very different. And then the characters became good at things seemingly sort of to your surprise and on their own and stories were moving and, and dragging in their wake. So, so what were those varying weeks like? Yeah, this is another real revelation kind of, I think about sort of long form storytelling. Um, you know, I had read bird by bird by Anne Lamott, which I absolutely love, you know, and, uh, she sort of talks about this way that you sort of fall in and out of love with your first draft and that um, ultimately the way to get through it is to really just embrace the decidedly, you know, imperfect <laughs> nature of, of this beast. And, uh, and for me, tackling that first 50,000 word novel in a month, you know, you start out and you just feel amazing. Be, you know, you, you just are, you wonder, wow, this is just coming so easily and there's so much material and why haven't I been doing this my whole life? And maybe this was my calling. And I think, uh, once you sort of get into it a ways, you hit this wall and a lot of NaNoWriMo participants call it the week two wall. I think people tend to hit it either in week two or week three of this process where, 
suddenly all of the characters that you'd invented that were kind of just charming and standing around and saying witty things to each other, and you could tell that an adventure might begin at some point, you suddenly have to kind of figure out what is really going <laughs> to happen in the story. Because, you know, books where characters do just sort of stand around and banter, uh, I think some people love them. A lot of people sort of um, find them hard to get through. And, and, and they're not always, for me, I love having a book that really draws you in. So I wanted to have something bookish happen. But I think it's right around week two, week three, that you start to realize you may not know exactly what that thing is. And you're not quite sure what the, the engine for this book is going to be. And I think that's when a lot of people quit. And in National Novel Writing Month, we really see participation drop off precipitously as people make it through the first week, things feel good. And around week two, the novelty of the event wears off. All of your cheerleaders have gotten bored with this project. The, you know, the friends and family that were like giving you wrist massages and making, you know, encouraging signs and posting them around have, have drifted back to whatever season of Game of Thrones is on. And, you know, they have their own lives. So you sort of, it, it's this feeling where you don't really know how to proceed. And you're also, you start to develop this fear of taking your book down the wrong path. You know, it, you've invested this time into it and it, there was such a promising beginning. And now you're starting to feel like maybe you've made some wrong turns. Maybe these characters aren't that interesting. Maybe that other book idea that you had at the beginning and decided not to pursue is actually, that's the real book you should be writing. And you start to develop these fantasies about, <laughs> you know, you having taken the other, you know, the, the, the path not traveled. And I think if you let these things just sort of get in your head, you will eventually just give up and decide, okay, I'm going to, maybe I'll try again next November for National Novel Writing Month that, you know, all of these real life obligations are piling up. Does it even make sense for me to waste this time on this incredibly crappy first draft? Um, but then if you stick with it, something really amazing happens, which is that electricity starts to flow through your book. And as a writer, there's nothing that feels quite as good as that moment when you know, those kind of things that felt accidental in the first week start to bind together into these sort of subplots and you're starting to see some themes and motifs and your characters are sort of coming up with these really interesting ideas on their own that you, you hadn't really planned where you're just like, oh my God, you're, you're quitting your job to join a polka band. And like, that's, that's great. And it turns out I had, I had put an accordion in your apartment in the first scene, not knowing why, but there it was. And, and I think these you know, our, our imaginations are so much more powerful than we realize. And they really thrive when we put them out on these sort of tight wire, do or die, no net situations. I think they really sort of come into their own at that point. And so week three for me in National Novel Writing Month is really that moment when um, this book kind of starts to take on a life of its own. And then I get pulled into it and I can't wait to see what's going to happen. And in some ways that, that tail end of national novel writing month, when you cross, you know, 30,000 words, 35,000 words, the whole physics of the creative process changes because you have more words behind you than you have ahead. And, and that creates this great momentum. And the last week of national novel writing month for me is just such an exhilarating time where um, it really, you're you're close to the end. You can kind of see these the, the next few steps. Um, writing becomes easier. People get excited again. You know that cheering section is suddenly like, oh my god, you're going to do it. You're going to be a winner. And um, it's really it, it's like nothing else on earth. People take part in this great pursuit. I always encourage them to realize that there will be moments when you want to quit. And in fact, every author that has written books that have inspired us, books that we've loved, they've crossed this exact same 
ground. They've walked these same difficult miles. And at, at various times, their books have seemed completely hopeless as well. You know, the, and they ask themselves these same questions of what, why continue? Nobody's going to read this. If they did read it, it would be incredibly embarrassing to me because this is awful and derivative and the, the plot is flat and the characters are monodimensional. And, but, you know, the important thing with everything is finishing, you know, getting through to the end, um, so that you have this beginning and you have a middle and you have an end and you can kind of see the, the whole beautifully flawed thing and then start to figure out, okay, what's going to happen in the next draft. And, you know, with, with novel writing, really novels are written on the second draft, the third draft, the fourth draft, like there's no other way to do it. I think, uh, you know, even professional novelists really struggle to kind of find the voice of the book to find the main characters but you can revise a bad book into a great book and in fact i think that's the way all books have been written is they started out as these deeply mediocre first drafts and i think that's so heartening but also so easy to forget when you're in the trenches of that kind of the peaks and valleys and sort of emotional ups and downs of this creative process, especially because you're compressing them into this ridiculous time frame, right? Which is like 30 days is, it seems suicidal to try to write that much that quickly. But um, I, I think that in my experience, if you give yourself 30 days to write a first draft of a novel and you give yourself a year to write a first draft of a novel, the quality is going to be the same. You know, you will just end up, um, I think, getting, going through that same experience of finding good ideas, finding bad ideas, pushing through, making decisions um, much, much quicker if you give yourself this kind of ambitious deadline. And, and you, it means that you also give yourself so much less time to procrastinate. And, and procrastination is just, I think, such a huge part of what gets in the way of our creative dreams as well. That's where I think a deadline is so important is, is it helps us really focus. You know, I think if you did give yourself a year to write a first draft, for me, I would spend like 11 and a half months of that just like on Twitter, you know, at, you know, <laughs> asking important research questions. Um, we find so many ways to sort of waste this, our creative time. And so again, I think having that very compressed creative window for the first draft of it really helps us get through the thing. And I don't think it really impacts the quality one way or the other. And Chris, do you think that you're pretty goal oriented by nature. You know, you said the thing is finishing. Like, is that something that is a natural reality to you? Or was that something that you learned or adopted through this process? Huh. I, I think I've always been, I sort of in my group of friends, I am often the organizer, the person who's like, Hey, you know, let's, let's all get together and do this dumb thing. Right. And so I think setting goals for groups of people has always come naturally. I think as an only child, like that's, you, you really get, you but, get but not just do the thing, right? You're not saying let's just start this thing and organize yeah. it and set it up. But you're like, let's do by doing it. You mean, finish it <laughs> at the end. Yeah, I know. It's really, um, I kind of like you had mentioned in the book, I say starting is easy and mm -hmm. finishing is hard. Yeah. And, um, I think that the, the communal aspect that creates this magic, this momentum. And I, for me, harnessing that to get to the end of something is really, that's where the payoff is, um, which is kind of strange in thinking about this idea of em embracing kind of a, a, a really poorly written first draft, right? Which feels like maybe that's not the most satisfying end. Well, but so, and also by nature, my second question, are you someone who's pretty comfortable at 
at settling into that uncomfortable space, like where you have to just many and many elements of this process, right? You have to just trust, trust that it's not too terrible, trust that people aren't going to make fun of you, trust that you're going to finish, trust that, that there's some value here. Like we, again, is that your nature, do you think, or something that you acquired? I don't, I think so. I am a really big perfectionist uh, in every aspect of my life outside of national novel writing. <laughs> like, I have a really loud inner editor who tells me constantly, like, this isn't good enough. Uh, don't share this with anybody yet. So I think I might be uniquely bad at it. And that's where I think for me, if I can get other people to agree to a goal, I feel like I will be able to achieve something I wouldn't because I don't want to let that group down. So did so, you make some yeah. sort of deal with that devil um, in, inside yourself for that month? Like how, how did you quiet it that first year? I think it's just entirely about being wanting to avoid that, the humiliation of being the, the organizer who says, everybody can do this. You can be busy and still write a novel. And then, have to say that I didn't write a novel. Like I, that's an, an invaluable encouragement to me. And, um, and that, you know, so I've written a first draft of a novel every year since 1999. And I think, you know, being the organizer of national novel writing month to me, it just puts this really, uh, priceless pressure on me to take part and actually finish it. And, um, since stepping down, you know, three and a half years ago and handing the reins over to uh, the staff and the next generation of National Novel Writing Month leadership, um, I was really terrified that first year when I kind of passed the reins down, like, will I still be able to do this when I don't absolutely have to? Have to. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, and so you created a lot of structure around that, not only with the deadline, but you put these really clear parameters about quantity, not quality. You have a time finder so people can figure out when is the best time for them to, to kind of eke out time to write. Um, there's a lot of structure. So did that develop along the way? Yeah, and I think the structure is really helpful to kind of t turn down that inner editor that that is constantly looking for quality rather than quantity, right? That's because as readers, that's we, we love good writing and we recognize good writing and we have been inspired by good writing. And so when we sit down to write the first draft of our novel, we immediately <laughs> recognize that this is not good writing. And I, and so I think our natural impulse is to kind of abandon that project, to give up, to, to go on to something else, to think, okay, maybe I'm, I'm not a writer. Maybe I shouldn't be doing this. And um, so, yeah, I think that that you do make this, I think by coming up with these structures of having like a daily word count, which is wonderful. So in National Novel Writing Month, if you're taking part and going for the full 50,000 words, you have this number, which is 1667, 1,667 words per day. That's what you want to do. So you wake up in the morning. If by the end of the day you have written your 1667, you feel awesome. They may have been the worst 1,667 words you've ever seen in your life. It doesn't matter. Really, you replace this goal of perfection with the goal of completion. And I think that's, that's one of the really, really important things is having something so that you can kind of, you know, that, that sense of looking at your output and judging it, that's hard to turn off. But you can replace judging it for the quality of your metaphors and the, the scintillating nature of your dialogue, instead of judging for that, you can judge, did I 
write this day's word count goal. And and that, I think, is a much more productive way to get a book written than, you know, bringing the full brunt of your sort of creative eyeballing onto whatever you happen to write that day, because nothing is going to be as good as you want it to be. And all of it will feel like a waste of time if you if you're too critical. And on top of this structure, you also talk a lot in your book about setting the stage. And along with the structure of the stage, definitely you guys all seem to be about having fun, really good snacks. Um, <laughs> you've got to have a magic pen, a great notebook, a good hat, a soundtrack that, that all novels have these things <laughs> behind them. Yeah, I mean, I think writing, it, especially this first draft, it it should be fun. And I, I had, I had heard interviews with, uh, you know, a lot of novelists who kind of talked about writing as sort of akin to bleeding, right? That you sort of quietly s- suffer by candlelight for, you know, a, a long time. And you'd sort of emerge with this like beautiful, perfect novel at the end of that period of, uh, of suffering. And I do think that th- there's no way to avoid writing being work at at certain points. And, and there will come a time when writing really does, it, it's difficult. I think especially novel revision is one of the most challenging projects that, that you can really undertake as a creative person. There are just so many moving parts that it feels like there's so many ways to get it wrong. But to me, I, I'm not thinking about that on the first draft. The first draft to me is this really like anything goes improvisational, um, really is kind of this giddy thrill ride where I really let the book kind of go in unexpected directions and pull me in. And, and sometimes it feels almost like I'm watching a movie that I power by typing, you know, by making typing noises on my keyboard, I'm, I'm getting to see the movie a few, you know, a few scenes down the line. It almost feels like it's somebody else's book that I'm just sort of like helping get onto the screen of my laptop. And, um, yeah, that, that part, it just is, it feels wonderful. You know, it, it really, I think, gets us back to that sense of play that, you know, that was all we did when we were kids. It's like, you know, you give a kid some some markers and a really big sheet of paper, and that kid is good for hours. And that spirit of just kind of starting to make lines on a page to see where they go, I think is still in adults. Like, that that hunger is still there. But I just think we, because we have so many things that we need to do in our daily lives, it's hard to make time for that sense of, open-ended play. And I think novel writing is such a great way to do that. Again, even for people that don't really see themselves as writers, but just are sort of looking for this challenge, but also this way to connect with this playful, joyful sense of just exploring your imagination for a while. All right, we're going to take a short break. This is Ellie Newman on That Got Me Thinking. And my guest today is Chris Beatty, founder of National Novel Writing Month and author of No Plot, No Problem. This is KDPI. 88.5 88.5 FM Ketchum. And we'll be back in just a moment. We're back. This is Ellie Newman on That Got Me Thinking. And I'm here with Chris Beatty, author of No Plot, No Problem, a low-stress, high-velocity guide to writing a novel in 30 days. All right, Chris, I want to talk a little bit about the community, talk about rallying the troops. And one thing I thought is you've got really good troops around you, people giving you massages and putting up post-its to inspire you. And I was like, he's got good friends. Um, So I want to talk about those relationships, but also the relationships um, that developed among the participants. Yeah, well, I think because this idea of 
of writing as a social activity became so clearly important in helping us get books written. Um, as National Novel Writing Month kind of started to grow from something that I just organized in my living room for friends and then friends of friends, um, as soon as we hit the third year, it, it leaped up. We went from 140 participants the second year to 5,000 the third year. And um, there were writers suddenly, you know, all around the world were taking part. And one of the things I wanted to do was help give those people who are writing everywhere from South Africa to Singapore to Austin, Texas, that same sense of community. And so I started to create uh, message boards where people in those areas could could find each other. And and since then, that that has grown into this established network of volunteer-run chapters. There uh, are volunteer-run National Novel Writing Month chapters in about 500 cities and towns around the world. So um, in many, many places, definitely in almost every English-speaking uh, city and town around the world in November, you'll find a, a group of people getting together most nights in coffee shops or libraries and just writing together. You know, there may not be a lot of conversation, um, but it, it, it's kind of trying to give that same wonderfully supportive sense of encouragement and community uh, that that had been so powerful for us that first year. And, and that, I think, has been one of the reasons you know, National Novel Writing Month really has endured over, I mean, it's been 17, I think 17, last year, I think was the 17th year, if that's possible, um, is that there are people now who have made friends through National Novel Writing Month. People have fallen in love and gotten married. There are like National Novel Writing Month children out in the world. And, you know, it's, it, it sort of combines this, um, this great bookish adventure with also this really wonderful sense of sort of like camp for adults. It's like this month where you get to see people that you wouldn't normally see. Um, and again, whether you're in Melbourne, Australia, um, or in Tokyo, you know that whatever else is going on in your life, one month out of the year, you're going to be able to go back to those coffee shops and see those familiar faces and check in on everybody's lives and how are your kids doing and how's the job and it, it, it really is this wonderful, it, you know, it's in a lot of ways, National Novel Writing Month is is books are just kind of one part of it. The the other part is really just this um, sense of connection that I think has sprung up around uh, around the event. You also recommend that people use their friends and construct a web of miserable chore based bets to pressure them into finishing. Yeah, I, I think so. The deadline, we all need deadlines, but. I think to help keep that procrastination monster at bay, it's also good to have weekly goals. And this is where if you, some people are motivated by rewards, you know, so you could set up every week. If I meet my word count goal, I'm going to get myself, you know, whatever, a, a cake or, a, a, you know, that, that thing that you've been wanting, but you haven't felt like you really deserve some treat based system works really well for some people. Treats do not work for me. I feel like, uh, I, I, I can buy myself a treat anytime. I, the thing that works for me, I think, is this sense of, oh, my God, I'm going to have to do something bad if I don't do this. And so a lot of people who take part in National Novel Writing Month are like me. And so they do. They set up this system where they will say, you know, maybe to their significant other, OK, I will uh, I will do the dishes every night for the next two months after National Novel Writing Month if I don't meet this weekly word count goal. And, um, you know, and that, I think, can be very, very effective if you 
particularly hate doing dishes or walking the dog or getting getting up early and changing the, your kid's diaper, you know, whatever it is you absolutely don't want to do, set up this system of accountability and that will keep you writing when nothing else will. I was really um, interested when I read the tips from the trenches uh, regarding the diversity of the people involved and also their the diversity of techniques and, and sort of the the lengths that people went to make this work again and again, you had people that were, had been doing it 10 or 12 times. And one guy who said, you know, he'll rent out a hotel room to write in was, <clears throat> that was one of his suggestions. Was that surprising to you as this built more momentum and had more participants um, year after year? Absolutely. Yeah. The, I, I, I mean, I think to me, I really thought the we would do this once and then that would be it. You know, the, the name national novel writing month was sort of this aspirational consolation prize <laughs> for all of us, because I really didn't think we were going to survive that first month. Uh, whether or not we were going to successfully write novels also seemed sort of in doubt. Um, and I, I think that that it's like the event sort of grew into that name, you know, it was it, that, that it really did become, and then an international event. Um, yeah, it continues to just be, I think such a source of wonder, but also just real delight to me to, you know, to be able to travel to Dublin, Ireland and go meet up with the National Novel Writing a Month group there. And um, yeah, it, it, again, just because I think I've had so many uh, clearly bad ideas that I've tried to foist on friends and the world at large, I think the idea that, that, writing a 50,000 word novel in 30 days would be the thing that would really <laughs> kind of take off and end up changing my life and changing the lives of so many people around the world. I never, ever would have, would have guessed. I mean, it just doesn't, it just doesn't seem possible, but, but, uh, I think it just speaks to the fact that, you know, so many people really do have these stories in them and really do need this deadline and this, uh, little bit of support and encouragement to, to get them written. And that once you give people those things that, that really miracles happen reliably, you know, for everybody, uh, every time. So I think that that's been like such an interesting revelation for me. I think the other thing that I discovered along the way is the power of just telling somebody that they can do something, um, you know, just reaching out to people. So over as National Novel Writing Month grew, I would just send out these weekly pep talks during the month. And a lot of them, the message was just like, don't give up. You know, this is, it's, this is why it's important you continue. But the, I think um, people are waiting to hear somebody tell them that they believe in them and that they, this thing that seems impossible is doable. And I, I just think that um, by feeling like, okay, I'm just going to be that person. I'm going to I'm going to say that and I may never meet these people and, um, but that this is something that I would want to hear. It really does have this powerful effect because I think a lot of people, um, maybe don't have that support in their life. Maybe don't have somebody saying, listen, you're awesome. You've got this. Um, and so anybody can be that person. And it also showed me just the power of, you know, that, if some random person from the internet can be <laughs> the one to say that we all can be the one to say that. And that, uh, a lot of people come out of national novel writing month. I think having that similar, um, Eureka moment of seeing how important it was to have just 
this impossible thing made doable by somebody saying, you, you can do this. Everybody can do this. And, and that then they can start applying in their own lives where they can encourage their own friends who maybe wanted to start a business but hadn't known how to go about it or you know had always wanted to learn Italian. Like I think you come out of these experiences realizing that you can be a creative catalyst for somebody as well. And, and that is such a wonderful, powerful way to spread this kind of grassroots sense of of can-do energy. And, and for yourself in other areas of your life, right? Oh, my God. Yeah, absolutely. You know, discovering that there was a novel in me that I didn't realize was there, I think really started making me wonder, like, what else is in there? And, you know, and that led to this starting a nonprofit and um, getting an office and hiring employees. And, you know, when I stepped down from National Novel Writing Month. We had an office in Berkeley with seven full-time employees. Uh, We had become a 501c3 nonprofit where, you know, we were raising a million dollars a year in in donations. We had a young writers program that provided free workbooks and common core mapped curriculum, uh, lesson plans to over a thousand classrooms around the world to help kids and teens also get into this idea that everybody is an author and that everybody benefits from book writing. And you know, I, I never would have thought I had that in me in 1999. You know, I I was sort of a just an just another random person working at a website for business travelers, and you know, not really sure what I was doing with my life. And I think that we all have so much more in us than we realize, and and it can take sometimes just these little successes to help us sort of get that confidence to try the next step and the next bigger thing. So I want to talk a little bit about plot structure. So you give the participants seven days only for for research, and you start off with uh, two Magna Cartas. You have to write what books you do like and what you like about them and then what you don't like. Um, And I saw a quote by Oscar Wilde, actually, in the bookstore this morning. It said, it is what you read when you don't have to that determines what you will be when you can't help it. So how difficult was it for you when you first started to write down what were the elements of books you liked and didn't like? Was this something you you knew right off the bat or did it take some thinking about? Wow. First off, I love that Oscar Wilde quote. I feel like I want to, that is, I need to have that like emblazoned on a, on a wall. That's so smart. Um, and, and so, yeah, insightful. So the the question of planning is really what, that's the biggest question that people have when they contemplate taking part in national novel writing month for the first time is like, how much planning do you really do? And, um, in, in the book I say, you know, give yourself a week. Uh, some people give themselves the full year running up to national novel writing month. I think that's great. It really, uh, if, if that's, sort of the way that you like to, if, if you're more of a planner, if you do like to kind of think about sort of character backstories and sort of cast different actors and roles and, and think through all of the twists and turns of your book, if, if that ends up giving you a, a greater sense of creativity and spontaneity when you're writing, I say go do it. I think for me, a lot of people... I hear a lot of people not writing books because they feel like they have to know all of their book before they start writing. And and the truth is, if you are somebody who kind of feels like maybe it's okay to just wing it, you can just wing it. You know, it's, it's okay to just sort of dive into your book, not knowing much. So I think by saying, listen, if you have a week, you're fine. I just want to help people not fret so much about 
this notion of of needing to completely understand their book. But if you love planning, you should do it. Um, for me, the most important thing for people who maybe don't have time to plan or don't want to plan is just this idea of knowing what you love to read. So, you know, as you mentioned with that Oscar Wilde quote, there are things that we are naturally drawn to in books that, you know, that things that just sort of resonate with us as readers. And, and for me, that would be humor is really big. I love books that are like set in, in contemporary settings. I love books that take place at work. I know a lot of people hate workplace novels, but I, I love them. I don't know why I love them. I just kind of love them. And I think once you start to make that list of things that you love to read in books, um, I love happy endings, for instance, you sort of, without realizing it, have this blueprint for a great book that you can write. Because I think what we, what resonates with us as readers is what we wield well at as writers, uh, whether we kind of know that or not. And, and another thing that I think oftentimes slow people down when they start their first book is they end up writing a book that they feel like they should write. Like maybe they have, um, a family story that has, has been amazing and it's cross generations and it, um, it, it's really a, a beautiful story and, but it may not, Somebody should write that, but if you don't really have that kind of irresistible pull towards that story, you aren't probably the right person to do it. I think it's important when tackling these projects to always remember to be writing something that you want to read. And that's such a golden rule that I think it, it can be tough getting through the first draft of a novel. And I think if you are excited about finding out what happens next, you will keep writing. And, and that's one of the things that I think is why I really encourage people to figure out what they love to read and then make sure that their book contains those elements. And did you translate that golden rule into the rest of your life when you were doing this? Did you start noticing sort of in other areas and aspects of your life, like, what do I really like? What am I attracted to? What don't I really like? What am I maybe doing because I think I should? Oh, God, I wish I had, because I think that would have saved me doing a lot of things that I felt like I should have. No, I mean, I think uh, it is such a great idea to apply that. Um, yeah, how many things, how useful would that be if, if we kind of thought through, is, is this what I think I should be doing or what I really should be doing? Um, yeah, I love it. I'm going to start doing it right now. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> so you talk a lot about the characters and this sort of phenomenon of them leading the way and, and writing the story themselves. And you had a quote by Ray Bradbury that said, you got to get out of the way and, and just let your intuition, you know, knows where to go, know, knows what it wants to write. Was that, is that pretty constant experience for you as you're writing? Um, I think on the first draft it is, and I've really, really come to put a lot of faith in that. Um, I teach an adult education class down at Stanford every fall that's basically a National Novel Writing Month class. So it's a 10-week class, and uh, we do four weeks of planning, and then uh, we all write together, and then we have, at the end, we'll have kind of a celebration and a reading in a bookstore, and it's wonderful. I absolutely love it. And, you know, that question of planning came up with students, and this year I didn't have I just didn't have any ideas for my book. Um, and we were, you know, two weeks out, no ideas, one week out, no ideas. And then literally the, uh, the day before National Novel Writing Month began, a student came in. She volunteers at this wildlife refuge where they had a domesticated crow that lived in the refuge. And the crow had been kidnapped the night before. Somebody had broken into the refuge at three in the morning and had kidnapped this crow. And I was like, that's it. That's such a perfect opening for 
a novel. You know, I'm hooked. It's like, all right, so it's it's 3 a.m. at a wildlife refuge. You see, you know, kind of this Pink Panther-esque thing where suddenly this hand reaches out and grabs a crow and vanishes into the night. And I think for me, um, I, I would have been terrified with this idea that I was going to start writing this 50,000 word novel and two days before beginning, I didn't, I had nothing, <laughs> like nothing, zero, zero ideas. But I think I have just, I, I have now so much faith in this process that something will come and that something will lead to a series of other somethings that will end up kind of unfolding in this really interesting way. And again, uh, I, I, for me, that's one of the really wonderful parts of a first draft is just letting this book kind of take you in places. And it, it does, you have to commit to, you need to show up and, and be there to help that happen. It's, uh, it, it, it doesn't happen without you, you know, making time to sit down and, and, and write. But, um, I do think that we don't realize how much of the heavy lifting our imagination is ready to take on, uh, until we just kind of sit down and open ourselves up to that story evolving. Um, and also just kind of, you know, I feel like, I'm in the world in a much more alive and alert way every November than I am normally because I think the world, the universe loves novelists, loves amateur novelists, loves, you know, first time, first draft novelists and provides just such a huge amount of material and sort of overheard conversations in the grocery store checkout line and strange graffiti you see on, on highway overpasses. And, you know, for me, it's also, um, I'm, I, I'm an inveterate rummager through uh, free boxes. So the Bay Area has this great culture where maybe everywhere has this, where people, when they don't need anything, they'll put cardboard boxes with things, things in them out on the curb. And I can't help myself. But in November, like I look through those for clues and signs about what should happen. So there might be a mixtape that somebody has put out at the curb and I will grab the first song of that and, uh, in, and make sure that that ends up in the next chapter. And to me, these little sparks and bits of inspiration are also, are really joyful and kind of again take help take the book in sort of these unexpected interesting and very alive directions I thought it was also really interesting that you you have a paragraph in your book about, of time-tested plots and you talk about sort of that there are only so many basic stories uh that happen in in writing or also i'm thinking in tv or radio or or movies, and that it's the development of the characters and the way that you tell the story that is really what where the quality lies. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we we don't realize it, but really, uh, against the vast, vast majority of stories, just start out with a there's a person who um, is presented with either a really big opportunity or a really big problem, and then the book is them kind of committing to that journey, um, or being committed, um, <laughs> without their permission, you know, they get sucked into this thing. And then it's kind of this process of them either getting or not getting this thing. Um, and you know, we, one of the pressures I think we put on ourselves as, as writers is this idea of originality. You know, it's like, Oh, I need to have an original idea. And a lot of people come up with ideas and then end up dismissing them because it's like, Oh, that's, that's just like divergent or, you know, that uh, this is sort of too close to, you know, whatever this um, catcher in the rye or something. And I think we we're not giving ourselves credit for the fact that just through the writing process, this idea that feels maybe a little too familiar ends up taking on its own very unique characteristics that are of us. You know, we will bring our unique voice to this story and that, that will make it unique. And, um, you know, I also try to remind people that any idea you have that you want to read, there are other people who share that 
share your taste, share your vision for what a good book is. And so whatever you're writing, there is somebody out there that is waiting to read it. And it's important to remember that, especially as you get into the the depths of self-doubt and wondering if this is really a good idea as as you move through your first draft. Well, and it's so encouraging to think that the characters are really your only responsibility because once you have the characters, things are going to happen to them. And, and I was thinking about Star Wars today. My son was looking on Audible and he's like, oh my gosh, mommy, there's hundreds of books you know, about Star Wars. And I was thinking, oh my gosh, it's just like what Chris is talking about. You've got these characters and then things can just keep happening to them. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it, that's a perfect example. It's just there, we have this hunger when we, we love these characters. We just want we just want to spend time with them, right? We want to, we want to just be there and be a part of their world. And, and just, I think remembering that as you're writing, uh, it's so easy to see the warts on the page when you're the writer, because you, you know where the bodies are buried, right? You know where you sort of ran out of ideas or where you sort of shifted directions, but you forget that readers are not going to have that same level of critical awareness of everything that they are going to get sucked in um, and just kind of come along for the ride to spend time with these characters. And that's, that is key to remember to kind of, I think forgiveness, <laughs> like really cutting yourself some slack is, is just so important to, to get through this process with your sanity intact. So you say, write your joy and good things will follow. I have to ask if you've written a novel yet about coffee. Oh, coffee is, there is definitely coffee threaded through <laughs> all my novels. The most recent novel there, a character spends an immense amount of time in my local Pete's Coffee. Um, I think ends up dating the barista. Um, yeah, uh, uh, there's definitely, coffee is a powerful force in the universe. And, and it so is, is coffee your, your protagonist <laughs> or your antagonist? Because you're still searching, have you, have you found the perfect cup? Um. Okay, so I hate to say that I found the perfect cup, but there is so there's a local chain here that's uh, called Phil's Coffee, and uh, they have a blend called Filtered Soul, and I'm actually holding it right now. Uh, it's a medium roast, and it's pretty incredible. Um, perfect. I, I don't want to give up this quest for the perfect cup of coffee, but I I have to say that this is pretty close. And are you writing full time now? So I. I am doing a mix of uh, writing um, and also teaching. Uh, so I mentioned I teach these uh, the NaNoWriMo class at Stanford. I do other classes as well uh, through them. And then I'm kind of endlessly in the background working on different novel revisions. So uh, as I mentioned before, I'm a horrible perfectionist. So in I, it's for me... The, the month of November is sort of an anything goes wonder time, uh, just sort of diving in, seeing what happens. And then after that, it's like the that inner editor beast comes back with abandon. So I have uh, probably five or six of the National Novel Writing Manuscripts that I've started. I've gone back and revised, and but they never... It's like I never get to the point where I'm like, okay, this is truly done. So uh, one of the things, I'm trying to spend about an hour every morning working on a revision of uh, my National Novel Writing Month draft from, I guess, five years ago, which I really love. And um, I'm hoping by the end of this calendar year, I'm going to make a vow to you, Ellie, by the end of this calendar year, the third draft of it will be done. And hopefully that will be kind of like ready to share. Well, I don't know if you see it, but I definitely see in your future national editing and revising month in April. Right. We need this, right? We need this. You know, the interest, 
Yeah. And, and so there is national novel writing month has kind of inspired a lot of spinoff events. So there's like, uh, there was nano blogmo about like making sure you update your blog every day for a month. And there's nano swemo national sweater knitting month. Um, but one of the things that there is, is national novel editing month. It, it exists. Uh, I think it's, it may even be in April or March. Um, and it, the goal is 50 hours of novel editing in a month. And I have signed up a bunch of years and I find it almost impossible somehow. It's that I think getting 50,000 words done, there's, there's something that is just easier about that than there is about this sort of more open-ended process of like, did you spend a set number of hours? But yeah, if we could figure out like a communal approach to novel revision and a way to make it uh, yeah. fun, there, there's the, the fun. <laughs> we make it as fun <laughs> exactly. as novel writing month. Well, Chris, it was <laughs> such a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. And, and, and good luck. You're going to be writing in November, right? We're going to be writing in April here in Ketchum during Slack season. We've, we've got it started with our local bookstore, and it's been unbelievable to me how many people I've mentioned it to, and they right off the bat, without even really being invited, say, oh, yeah, I want to do that. Put me on the list. That's great. Well, can I mention one thing about noveling in April? Absolutely. Okay. So um, as November is obviously not a great month, especially in a, a ski place, you know, uh, so that's true for students and teachers as well. Like this idea of doing it in November um, just didn't work for some people. So because every month really can be National Novel Writing Month, uh, we started a program called Camp NaNoWriMo. Do you know what Camp NaNoWriMo is? No. Okay, so if you go to campnanowrimo.org, um, in April and July, there's like a miniature version of National Novel Writing Month that happens. And oh, it's called awesome. Camp NaNoWriMo. And you can set your own work count goal. So it could be, you know, anywhere between 10,000 to 100,000 words. You can write a novel or you could write a screenplay or a very long poem or a PhD dissertation. But there is, it's kind of a virtual camp theme. So you can be in a virtual writing cabin with other people. There are the pep talks and the encouragement. So um, in, in addition to the local structure that you're building, if people want to take part and have kind of this uh, sort of web-based version of that as well, if they go to Camp NaNoWriMo in April, um, they can kind of get a little bit of this same sort of global encouragement as well. Oh, that's awesome. We'll definitely implement that into the program. Well, thank you so much for joining me, Chris, on the show. It was an absolute pleasure speaking with you. It was so great talking with you, and good luck on your writing in April. Thank you. This is... Ellie Newman on That Got Me Thinking, KDPI 88.5. Sweater. Uh-huh.